Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome once again to Cross Central Church, our online broadcast. Um, and we're going to continue with these uh, right the way through July and possibly into August as our country has hit the third wave of the coronavirus and uh, our numbers of uh, cases are increasing in our country. And so um, we reduced to 50 people here this morning together. But uh, for those who are listening online, we pray that God's word would really bless you uh, and that you would, uh, yeah, you would just enjoy just hearing from God this morning. So we're starting in a new series uh, in the book of Second Peter. It's a short little book, but a very powerful book, a wonderful book uh, that is very relevant for our day and age. Uh, and I pray that as we go through Second Peter, that we would truly be challenged and encouraged around what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we start this new series, I pray that we will be blessed. If you have your Bibles with you at home, just uh, wouldn't you open up to the book of 2 Peter, right at the end of the New Testament, and we are going to um, pray, and then we're going to get straight into God's Word together this morning. So let us pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning. We pray that you would uh, just use your Word to really transform us and encourage us. Lord, as we our country enters the third wave uh, with the coronavirus, we pray for your protection upon our families, our lives. God, that you would bring a quick end to this, uh, this wave that is hitting our country at this stage. Oh, Father, would you have mercy and show tremendous grace on our country this morning. Thank you so much that in these times and the, uh, of, of hardship and difficulty, thank you that we have your word and that we can be encouraged from your word this morning. And we ask that you would walk with us, that you would lead us, and that you would shape us by your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Second Peter, a little book written by uh, the disciple Peter, written by Simon Peter about AD 64 and AD 67, uh, while he was imprisoned in Rome. So the Peter is writing from prison. Uh, and this book is probably one of his letters, probably one of his last, as he was uh, martyred shortly after this, possibly under the reign of the Emperor Nero. And so it's his last letter that is written to the churches in Asia Minor, which would be nowadays called Turkey. And Peter writes this letter to the believers across Asia Minor to encourage them. He wants to encourage them to hold firm to the truth, the truth of God's word, holding firm to God's truth and to pursue godliness in the midst of persecution and a sinful world. And there's a lot of similarities between 2 Peter and the book of Jude, interestingly. So, so Peter's writing and Peter wants us to know that in, the, in these last days, as truth is distorted, as there are so many voices shouting at us, there's so much going on in our world, so, many, so much of this, the philosophy of the world that is infiltrating our thinking. And I don't know about you, but as I live in our world today, truth is becoming more and more confusing and hard to find. And that is why we need to come back to God's word every time. What does the Bible say? And so Peter's focus on God's word in this little book is amazing. Just encouraging believers to hold to the truth of Scripture. And as uh, the persecution was increasing against the church, as the sinfulness of the world was busy entering into parts of the church as well, there seems to have been uh, a lot of uh, sexual sin that was starting to enter into the church, uh, specifically amongst the false teachers. And so Peter addresses all these issues very strongly. And you can see why this letter is so relevant to us today, isn't it? Very relevant to our thinking that we would hold firmly to the truth as the world seems to be changing consistently and, and so many voices out there trying to lead us away from the truth of the gospel. And so the purpose of, of uh, Second Peter is actually found for us in chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. 
So in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Peter actually tells us why he is writing his first letter to for 1 Peter and why he's writing 2 Peter. And you see that there in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. And I've written both of them. So Peter's saying, I've written both of these letters as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So isn't it amazing that Peter's writing this letter and he says to the church, I'm writing these letters to stimulate you, to stir you to wholesome thinking. And that little word is the Greek word elkrines, which literally means pure thinking, uncontaminated thinking. So the ESV says, Peter, Peter says, I'm stimulating, wanting to stimulate you to a sincere mind. So Peter's goal with writing his letters is that we as believers would be stimulated, stirred to wholesome thinking, to purity of thought, to clear thinking, to uncontaminated thinking about God and about life in our world. And so it's a beautiful book, isn't it, that speaks and shouts so clearly into our world today. And I pray that as we journey through Second Peter, that that clarity and the truth of God's grace, God's salvation plan will be, will be laid bare for us and we'll once again take hold of it and hold on to it. And did you notice that Paul wants, uh, Peter, sorry, Peter wants, uh, wants us to recall the words spoken by the prophets and by the apostles? Isn't it amazing that the Old and the New Testaments, Peter wants us to remember the words spoken in the past, the Old Testament by the prophets, but also the commands given through the apostles. So the Old and the New Testament books of the Bible, Peter wants them to be the foundation upon which we base all our thinking around life, around godliness, family, friends, my job, my work, uh, the future, eternity. Peter wants us to have a clarity of thought. And notice he wants us to think clearly about our precious faith. Chapter 1 verse 1, uh, Peter wants us to think very clearly about our precious faith, being reminded of all that has been taught in God's word. And so so today godly, godliness matters to God. How we think matters to God. And Peter wants us to think clearly about it. And isn't this amazing that as we start this book, we, we realize that this clarity of thought is so necessary in the church today. But as we get to chapter 1, so if you open to chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, we're going to look at these first little 11 little verses today. So I'm going to read them for us. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Now that we know the purpose of this book, let's get straight into the book. So let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. And Peter writes, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through, who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, just this far. Well, a, a, a historical moment that I reflect on as I think about this passage was a famous battle called the Battle of Stalingrad in fe- February 1942 all the way to July 1943. The Soviet or Russian city of Stalingrad was one of the most bloody battles in the history of the Second World War with an estimate of around 2 million deaths as the city was under siege. Thousands of young Russian soldiers rushed to defend their city uh, with inadequate training and inadequate weapons. Uh, it's amazing that they were called to defend their city, to fight for their city, but they weren't given enough to fight with. Each soldier was given 30 rounds, 30 bullets, and one rifle was given between two soldiers. Can you imagine defending your city with a rifle between two, two soldiers and 30 bullets in your pocket? One historian writes about this battle of Stalingrad and he says, One rifle for every two men was not unusual, as the Russians didn't want to waste rifles on men who would likely only live a matter of moments in their first battle. Casualties were often 80% when frontal assaults were used, which was fairly common for Russian generals, even though the Germans were using uh, new MG series machine guns. The killed and the wounded could swell to almost 95%, if charges were made over open ground for more than a few yards. So talk about not being adequately provided, inadequate provision. Talk about being expected to win a battle without the necessary weapons. You see, these Russian soldiers were passionate about their city, but yet they did not have the equipment and the armor, the weapons needed to come to a full defense of their city and to make a stand. And for many Christians today, When you look at the Christian life, when we look at the Christian life and the demands of the Christian life and faith in our world today, so often we feel like those Russian soldiers, don't we? You and I feel like those Russian soldiers. We feel like we don't have what we need to take a stand uh, against the world. We feel inadequate and undersupplied like the soldiers rushing into battle. Uh, And and often many Christians struggle not believing that we can survive the temptations and the trials of this world, let alone overcome them. So how often don't we hear the words, it's just too hard, or pastor, I will never be able to live out what Jesus expects from me. There's no way anyone can really truly live a godly life. You see, like those Russian soldiers, many Christians feel like God hasn't given us what we need to live and to overcome and to persevere through trial and to face temptation and to stand firm in the face of temptation. How often don't we then simply reduce the standard of our faith? We lower the expectation of our faith to suit our own needs and and a perceived ability to follow. See, the temptation often for us Christians is simply to explain away the words of Jesus and the apostles or to reinterpret them and to, to make them easier for us. So we try to make our faith easier. We try to explain away the difficult things that Christ calls us to. But here in this letter, Peter reminds us as he starts his letter, as he starts right at the beginning, 
He reminds us that God is not like the Russian generals who sent their soldiers into battle without the right equipment, ill-equipped and unable to overcome. In fact, God does exactly the opposite. Did you see those verses? God has given you this morning everything you need to live a godly life in our world. God has given you everything you need to pursue godliness and to be a faithful believer in a world that is ever changing. God has given you abundantly more than you will ever need for life and godliness and obedience. You see, you and I, brother and sister, we are without excuse this morning. A life of obedience to Christ is not just a possibility, but it is, a, it is a, something that can happen in our everyday life. life. A life of obedience to Christ is a reality because God has provided us with His power and His promises. And so we are able to pursue Jesus and to stand firm. You are able to be a faithful believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what the pressure, the temptation or the challenges you face this morning. See, God has given us everything we need. Not like those Russian generals that never expected a defense of the city without arming the soldiers to fight the battle. God has given us everything we need for this battle. And, uh, and Peter reminds us of the precious faith that we have. Did you see the, the first thing I noticed from this, these couple of verses is God's divine provision. What God has given us, verses 3 to 4. See, Peter wants you to, rem to remind the believers uh, uh, in, in Asia Minor, he wants them to know that even though the pressure is coming, even though they are suffering and being persecuted, God has given them all that they need to remain faithful. And don't we see the first thing from Peter's greeting in verse 1, that the Christian faith... Our faith, your faith, is totally made possible only through the righteousness and the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see what Peter says there? We have obtained or received the same faith, the ESV says, of equal standing as the apostles. You and I this morning have received the same faith of equal standing as the apostles. Along with the apostles, we are saved by grace alone. And it is given to us. This grace, this, this, this faith is given to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And there are no exceptions. Verse 1, to those who through the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. You see, folk, our faith is not built on our own righteousness, on our own abilities. No, our faith is built on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he has already, he has already achieved us uh, this righteousness for us on the cross. So the righteousness of Christ is in the righteousness in which we stand this morning. And we have received this faith as a gift from God by simply believing in Jesus. And notice that our faith is equal and the same as that of the apostles. The apostles did not have greater faith or something special. No, they have the same faith that you and I have this morning. Through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, they have been called, set apart, saved, and be made believers. And that is exactly what you and I are this morning. See, in verse 2, Peter's prayers that this grace and peace might be multiplied to us through our knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Peter is praying that grace would abound as we grow in our understanding and knowing Jesus Christ. 
And so in the same way that we have received this precious faith, not built on our own good works or our own good deeds, but built on the finished work of Jesus Christ, God now also gives us everything we need for life and godliness. You see God's divine provision, what God gives us, well, he gives us everything we need. And it's a direct result. It's a direct result of his divine power and authority. Did you see that in verse 3? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Isn't it amazing that God's divine power, Jesus' divine power, godly power, comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. It proceeds directly from Him to us. It emanates from God Himself. His, God's divine power, has given us everything we need. Peter is clearly, of course, pointing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Because Jesus' divine power, the divine power that raised Him from the dead, His power has been given to us so that we may live a godly life and pursue godliness. And notice it's been given to us. Uh, Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need. That little word given, has given to us or given us, is the Greek word doriomai. And doriomai has this picture of a generous imperial gift. It's like a gift that you would give to a king or to a dignitary that you were visiting. So when Peter says Jesus' power, his divine power has given us everything we need, it's a picture of a gift that you would give to a king. It's a picture of a generous imperial gift that would be worthy of a dignitary or a very important person. Therefore, Jesus Christ, our King, has generously given you and I a gift of great worth, something very important, something that is worthy of a King. And that something is His power. We have been given the glorious divine power of Jesus Christ. And it is this power, folk, that enables us to live a Christian life and to pursue godliness. You see, we are empowered for the task. Now, you might not feel like that this morning. You might be saying, Quentin, man, I don't feel very powerful. I don't feel very strong. But you see, the reality is as we persevere, Christ's power is at work in us. The only reason you and I can persevere, the only reason that you and I can resist temptation and stand firm, the only reason that we can rejoice in the midst of great suffering is because of the power of God, His divine power at work in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. See, God does, Jesus does not give us the bare minimum. We are given more than enough, folk. Brother and sister in Christ, we are given more than enough, generously given um, everything we need to live the Christian life, to overcome sin and to walk in obedience to God's word. You see that? Everything we need for life and godliness. And so in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, hasn't Paul, the apostle Paul, also reminded us of the same thing, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says it's the gospel, the news of Jesus Christ, that is the power of God to save us. So Paul tells us the gospel is the power of God to save us. And Peter now tells us it's the power of God not only to save us, but also make it possible to live every single day for him. And so how do we allow this power of God to work in us? How do we access this power that has been given to us? 
You see, it's like a light, a, light, a light in a room. The light is off until you hit the light switch and the power surges through the cable and the light bulb shines. You see, how do we access this power that has been given to us, that has been placed in us through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, notice it's through knowing Jesus and growing in our understanding of Him. How do we flick the switch to access the power of God, this divine power that, that is given to us, that, that gives us everything we need for life and godliness? Well, how do we access it well did you see the second part of verse 3 through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness see it is through our knowledge of Jesus Christ growing in our knowledge of him that the power of God is released to work in us and to enable us to follow him see folk if you want to experience the power of God this morning it's not through signs and wonders and miracles. The power of God is experienced and released to work in our life as we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of Jesus Christ. See, as God's word transforms and changes our thinking, as we begin to understand it more, begin to meditate on it more, begin to take it to heart, what is happening? It's the power of God at work in us. See, the power of God is, is accessed through studying and learning and growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus' divine power is at work in us. It's a foundation for living a godly life. As you focus, not your abilities, your actions, or your own strength. It's not your baptism, your confirmation, your personality, your commitment, or your dedication that keeps you faithful to Jesus. No, it's the power of God working through us, alone in working through us, that keeps us faithful and enables us to pursue godliness. You see, we cannot be standing in our own strength this morning. If you are standing in your own strength and your own gifting and your own talents and abilities, well, you say at some stage you're going to stumble and fall. You see, we need to be standing on the Word of God, the very foundation of our faith. And as we draw near to Jesus, as we seek Him out, as we meditate on the Word of God, this divine power that Peter speaks about is released to work in us, to change us, and to strengthen us, and to help us to stand. So in the, in the moments of crisis, struggle, anxiety, we need to be finding ourselves in God's Word. Because it's the life-giving, God-breathed Word, Paul says. God-breathed Word that gives us everything we need for life and for following Him. But notice verse 4. Not only do we have God's divine power at work in us, so we have the power of God at work in us through, uh, through the Word of God, but we also have God's precious promises. We have the power and the promises of God. So God has not only given us uh, his power, it's like those uh, shopping adverts that say, hold on, there's more. Well, there's more, Peter tells us in verse 4. We also have the promises of God. Notice that through these, through his divine power, he has given us his great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. You see, God's called us by His own glory and goodness, verse 3. And by His glory and His goodness and His power, He gives us also His great and precious promises. And when we stand on the promises of God, did you see that? When we sow through them, by taking hold of the promises of God, what happens? Well, we participate in His divine nature. 
You see that in verse 4, we participate in his divine nature. Now, what does Peter mean when he says that? Well, what Peter means is we, it's literally the Greek word, participate is literally the Greek word, which means koinonus, which is fellowship. Koinonia, we get the word fellowship or, or, or experience fellowship and brotherhood. That's the word that Peter is using here. So when we, um, when we participate in his divine, when we stand on the promises of God, we share, we participate, we share in God's divine nature. We become increasingly like him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We have fellowship with the divine nature of Jesus Christ when we stand on the promises of God. We participate in his divine nature. Uh, we have koinonia, we have koinonos, uh, we have fellowship. And we become increasingly like him. So through the power and the promises of God, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. You see that we participate in the divine nature and then also we escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Folk, if you are battling with sin this morning and temptation and, and struggling, you know what you need to do? You need to take hold of the power of God by getting to God's word and you need to stand on his promises. Standing on the promises of God allows us to escape the sinfulness and the brokenness of ourselves and our world and to participate to have fellowship in the divinity of Jesus Christ, to participate in his divine nature, to be, to be, to be actively involved in following and loving Jesus, fellowshipping with him through our, our, our walk with the Lord. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, says something beautiful, doesn't it? When we stand on the promises of, of, of the gospel and, and we, we walk in the strength of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is displayed. So people will see and know we, we, we start seeing the fruit of our relationship with God. 1 Peter chapter 5 is one, uh, uh, Peter has already said, we share in his glory to be revealed when we walk in obedience to him. And Romans 8 verse 23 says we are adopted as sons and daughters. Romans 8 verse 29 says we are conformed into the likeness of his son. See, that's what it means to participate in the divine nature of Christ. We, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. We reveal the glory of God. We walk as children of God. We have fellowship as his children, as brothers and sisters of Jesus. And we are conformed into the likeness of his son. See, that's what happens when we take hold of the promises of God and we stand on them. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 to 2, 2 reminds us that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so when we allow the promises of God and the power of God through the word of God to change us and to take hold of us, we will see ourselves being transformed and changed. Now John Piper puts it beautifully when he thinks and reflects on this passage of scripture, what God has given us, his power and his promises. He says, I think this means that we must day by day go to the word of God and search for great promises and passages. Fix one or two in your mind and hold on to them. Hold on to them there and hold them there in your mind before you all day and use them to overcome temptation to sin and incite yourself to daring acts of righteousness and love. Isn't that a beautiful quote by John Piper? To go and find the promises of God and hold on to them, speak them over my life every single day, Rem meditate on them, think on them, take hold of them, allow them to grip my heart for the duration of the day. See, on a daily basis, to be seeking out the power and the promises of God. And isn't that a beautiful way to start the letter to, to a, a group of believers who are struggling and being persecuted? 
Peter reminding us God has given us, Jesus has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have the power of God and we have the promises of God. And those are more than enough for life and godliness and to, to stand in the midst of persecution. And so what does that mean? For How do we respond to what God has given us? What do we do? How do we react to what God has given us? So verses 3 to 4 have told us what God has given us. And notice Peter then turns his attention, verse 5 to 9, to our response. How do we respond to what God has given us? Well, our lives need to be marked by effective and productive Christian life. So our lives need to be marked by an effective and productive Christian life, made possible by the power and the promises of God. And see, what does Peter, and Peter shares that for us in verses 5 to 9, doesn't he? He uses these words that we will be effective and productive. And verses 5 to 7, what does an effective and productive Christian life work like? In other words, what does the fruit look like of a Christian life? What does the fruit of faithfulness look like in your life and my life? Well, notice verse 5 and 7. 5 to 7. For this very reason... Make every effort. You see, we've got to make the effort, don't we? We still have to participate in this process. So we make the effort. God's power enables us. We have the promises of God, but we still need to make the effort. We still need to move and walk with God in, in the process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus. For Peter says, For this reason, because of what we have been given, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly, to brotherly kindness love. You see, this reason, for this reason, so, so these, things on, these things don't earn salvation. Have you seen that? So Peter's not saying that if we do these things, we will earn our salvation. No, he's saying we do these things because we have already been given the power and the promises of God. So in other words, these list of things that we find in verse 5 to 7 are a list of things and how we are to respond to the power and the promises and the salvation we already have. We are called to intentionally cultivate these characteristics in our lives and, and making use of the enabling power of God. So Peter's not saying that works are a prerequisite for faith or required for faith, but rather Peter is saying our faith needs to be visible in daily life because of the power and the promises of God that are in work in us. So if the power of God is at work in you, if you are standing on the promises of God, then we will see you making every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. You see, these are, the, are very similar to that list in Galatians 5 verse 22, aren't they? The fruit of the Spirit. See, these things are visible signs that God's power and promises are at work in us. James says, faith without works is dead. So what James is saying is saying, yes, we have faith, but we need to be putting that faith into practice. You see, folk, we don't just sit back and say, God, give me your power, and then boom, we are empowered. No, you know what? We, we have the power of God and the promises of God for a reason, so that we can persevere, so that we can stand so that we can live a godly life, so that we can produce Christ, uh, produce um, the fruit of the Spirit 
And Peter here is saying, make every effort. And we can only make the effort because we have been empowered to do so. So brothers and sisters, may I ask you to look at that list. Think about those things. Ask yourself, are those some of the descriptions of your life today? What are you doing with your faith? What are you doing with the power and the promises of God that are at work in you? There are too many believers, I believe, that say, oh, I'm a Christian, but there's absolutely no evidence or fruit of faith. Oh, I go to church, but during the week, there's no evidence of the power of God at work. See, the the power of God is not seen in signs and wonders and miracles that everybody is chasing. The power of God is seen in the life of a believer who every day on a daily basis is walking in obedience, resisting temptation and becoming more like Jesus. You see, that's where we see the power and the promises of God at work. That's when we see the power at work. So when we see faith displaying itself in goodness and knowledge and self-control, When we see someone persevering under incredible trial and loving God and rejoicing in their trials. When we see someone living a godly life in the midst of incredible temptation. Displaying brotherly kindness and love to those who I need. Putting into practice God's word. Folk, that is when we see the power of God at work in the life of a believer. And notice verse 8, Peter says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, these qualities should be increasing in us as we are meditating on God's word, as we are walking in the power and the promises of God, we need to be seeing our lives changed. Folk, if your life has not changed since the day you were saved, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I saved? See, because if the Spirit of God is at work in you, If God's power and promises are at work in you and we have everything for life and godliness, then we need to be seeing these qualities and similar qualities increasing in our lives. And notice, as we follow Christ, as we walk in obedience, what does Peter say in verse 8? They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a terrible description of a believer, ineffective and unproductive? For Peter, one of the biggest problems with Christian faith is if you are ineffective and unfruitful. Ineffective ineffective and unfruitful. Folk, are you an ineffective and unfruitful believer? Are you ineffective and unproductive in your walk with Jesus? You see, now many of our churches are filled with believers who are ineffective and unfruitful and unproductive because they are not walking in obedience to God's word. How many of our churches are filled with people who come to church and go home who are unintentional about their faith because they simply don't believe in the power and the promises of God? Oh, folk, my prayer for us is that we will not be unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ but that we would be hearers of God's word and we will put it into practice. You see, the correct response to God's word, the correct response to our salvation, what our salvation, the power and the promises of God should be doing in us is producing obedience and action that we will be living out our faith, living out what we declare to believe. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John writes very clearly and he says the following, It says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man or woman who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 
But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. See, folk, the response to the power, the, the, the promises of God, the response to the salvation that we have is that we will walk in obedience to Jesus. That we will not simply be hearing and listening to God's word and taking it on a Sunday, but, but we will also be putting it into practice in our homes, in our families, in our thinking, in when we face persecution. Remember Peter, why Peter's written this letter? That we will have clear thinking. And clear thinking begins, it starts by knowing that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. So you and I folk are without excuse. We cannot say to God one day, God, you did not give us enough power or your enough promises. And so we could not obey you. We didn't have the tools to obey you. No, we are without excuse folk. We have everything we need to live a life of obedience and to follow Jesus Christ. To live a life that is world shaping, world changing. To live a life that is powerful and effective. You see, Peter's greatest fear is that the church would be ineffective and unfruitful in following Jesus Christ. Folk, my greatest fear for Cross Central Church is that we will have people coming to church every Sunday, but then living ineffective and unfruitful or unproductive lives because they are not spending time meditating on the promises of God, standing in the power of God and walking every day in His strength, in the empowering Holy Spirit, strengthening us and leading us in that day. See, we have to be intentional about our faith. Notice the, those words, make every effort. Response to the gospel, make every effort. Possess these qualities in increasing measure. Let the Holy Spirit, the, the word of God, change you and transform you. Verse 10, Peter continues, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. See, Peter's not saying that we are responsible for our salvation. No, he's saying live in such a way that you are eager to make your calling and your election sure. Make it sure by showing the world that you are in fact saved. For if you do these things, you will never fail. You see, the response to the gospel, Peter is saying, the more we live and follow Jesus, we, we confirm our calling. We confirm our election. How do I know that you are saved? How do I know that you are elected and chosen by God and saved and rescued? Well, I see it in your actions. You see, that's how you and I confirm our calling, make our calling and our election sure on an everyday basis by putting into practice the qualities listed in verse 5 and 7. And we will only be able to do this because we have already been empowered to do it. See, growing in those Christ-like qualities will be the visible sign of our calling, of our faith, and our election. They don't earn our salvation, but they reveal our salvation. See, we need to be living out every day what we have already become, what we have already been declared to be. That's, how, that's what Peter means when he says, make your calling and election sure. Live out what God has already done for you. If I am passionate about my, my soccer team, you know, it will be visible to people. I'm a passionate Chelsea football fan and, and I have the shirt and I, I cheer and I get excited when I watch their games. Uh, I post, a, a, a post, post about my soccer team and, and I love my soccer team. People who know me know that I'm a Chelsea fan. Why? Because it is visible by my actions and my words. If I'm passionate about my wife, I love my wife. It will be seen, it will be visible in how I treat her, speak to her. People will see it by the way that we love one another. You see, it's love made visible. 
If you are passionate about Jesus in the same way, it will be visible to the world. See, our lives will reveal what is important to us. What you are passionate about, people will know. So if you're passionate about your job, people will see it. If you're passionate about sport, people will see it. If you are passionate about your country, people will see it. If you are passionate about a cause, people will see it because you'll be talking about it. You'll be thinking about it. You'll be living it. You'll be participating in the events. Uh, You see, isn't that how daily life, how we, we live out our daily life anyway? We are passionate about certain things. What is important to us, we will give time to. What is important to us, we will value and will be a priority in our lives. So may I ask you this morning, what is your priority in your time in God's word say about its importance in your life? You see, folk, what Peter is saying, he's saying if we have the power of God and the promises of God and we are truly saved, we will be making our calling and our election sure. It will be visible to the world. When the world looks at your life this morning, do they know that you are passionate about Jesus? Do they know that you love Jesus and your your heart is set on Him? Do they know that you are passionate about His Word? Do people see your obedience and say, Wow, that person is truly saved? See, folk, our, 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 our salvation will be revealed in our actions and our obedience. That's what Peter means by make your calling and election sure. It's like somebody walking at the... When we went to visit the Victoria Falls um, some years back, it's the most amazing picture these falls with this hundred and something meter drop down to the bottom of the gorge but the crazy thing there's no fence along the edge of the the cliff so you can walk right up to the edge of the cliff and you can look down straight down into this massive gorge with the river below and I remember watching people going right on the edge and standing on the edge to try and take photos. And I thought to myself, are you crazy? Don't go so near. I said to my children, don't go so near the edge just in case you fall off. See, I think this is what Peter is saying in verse 10. Brothers and sisters, don't live on the edge of your faith. Live, but don't play around with sin and with temptation. No, walk well away from it. Don't walk on the edge. Don't live life on the edge as a Christian. You see, we need to be making our calling. We need to be walking well within the bounds of Scripture. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Don't live so close to the world and, and so close to, to the line that, you, that, that there's a danger of you becoming like the world. See, when Peter says, be eager to make your calling and election sure, it means be eager, spend time in God's Word, walk in the safety of the, the boundaries of Scripture. Live in such a way that you are not living on the edge of the cliff. And tragically, I read a a couple of months back about a man who was taking a photo right on the edge of the cliff. And unfortunately, his foot gave way and he stumbled and he fell to his death. You see, folk, don't live life on the edge. Now make your calling and your election show by walking in obedience to Christ. Do what do. Spend quality time in God's word. Spend time growing in your understanding of your faith. Don't play with temptation and sin and the world. No, live in love with Jesus. See, what you are passionate about will be revealed in your life. And so Peter tells us we have everything we need. God has given us more than enough. His power, His promises, and we access those through through studying and meditating and loving God's Word, loving Jesus. And when we do, we will see the fruit of it in verse 5 to 7. 
And so we need to possess these qualities more and more, verse 8. And we need to be effective and productive in our life. You see, the effective and productive Christians, we need to be living in such a way that we are building the kingdom, advancing the kingdom. Folk, don't be an ineffective and unfruitful Christian because you're not spending time in God's word. Peter wants us to be effective. He wants us to be fruitful and productive as faith, as believers. And, 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 and that'll be visible. That'll be visible as we make our calling and election sure, as we are eager to follow Christ. So as we follow Jesus, we will see the change in ourselves, but also the change in our world around us. And notice what Peter says, you will never fall. You'll never fall off the edge of the cliff if you are following Jesus and walking closely with him. And did you notice verse 10 and 11, the law, as Peter finishes this little section, the great promise for those who persevere, those who walk in the power and the promises of God. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If we follow Jesus, if we walk in the power and the promises of God, if we allow ourselves to be transformed by His Word, we will one day receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, folk, there is this beautiful picture that one day we will be welcomed into the kingdom of our Savior. We will never fall. We won't fall off the edge of that cliff if we are loving Jesus and loving His Word. And notice the the beautiful language. There will be a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Folk, eternity is is at stake. How we live matters. Eternity is at stake. And sin and temptation threaten to rob you of this beautiful eternity. Folk, may we, uh, this morning, may we walk in the power of God and the promises of God. May we realize that we have everything. You folk have everything you need to follow Jesus, to love Him, and to faithfully serve Him, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what temptation comes your way. If you are walking in the power and the promises of God, you will never fall. And isn't the wonderful thing about the Bible? The Bible promises nothing. Nothing in this world, Romans chapter 8, can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can rip us out of His hand. And folks, so let us persevere. Let us pursue Jesus. Let us walk in the power and the promises of God today. You know that those Russian soldiers where we started this, this morning, they eventually won the battle and saved their city. But it was marked by sheer determination and sacrifice. It was recognized as one of the turning points in World War II. And if those inadequately supplied Russian soldiers, if those Russian soldiers without enough guns, without enough bullets were able to overcome, how much more should you and I, the army of God, the people of God, equipped with His divine power and His precious promises, not be able to take our stand and change our world for all eternity. See, we have everything. We have more than enough because God has given us all we need for life and godliness. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. A great reminder from your word this this morning that you've given us everything we need to stand firm in our faith. You've given us your word. You've given us your promises. And oh Lord, would you help us, as Peter encouraged us, to take our stand on these things, to make our calling and our election sure, 
to make every effort. Lord, may our response not be to sit back and wait for you to work, but may we be pursuing you. May we be chasing after you this morning. May we be spending quality time in your word and intentionally building our faith, taking our stand, so that we will never fail or fall, that we will not lose out on the kingdom of God, that beautiful promise that one day we will be with you face to face. Oh Lord, may that inspire us, encourage us to walk faithfully in the power and the promises that you have given us. And to to know this morning that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for this amazing gift of Jesus. Thank you for his power. Thank you for his promises. And we pray this all in his amazing name. Amen and amen.